Well, good evening, church. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. Uh, this is obviously not what we were hoping for, to have to do a virtual service here. We've been praying together all week, and uh, as we saw the weather coming in, we were praying that the Lord would allow us to gather together in person, but uh, unfortunately, that was not the Lord's will for us, and that stinks. I wanted to be with my church family uh, for this service. You know, when, we, uh, when you start following Jesus, uh, he redefines everything about you, including the fact that he redefines your family. And so it is hard to not be together with my family uh, this evening for this service. That said, uh, Christmas it falls on a Sunday this year, and so we're going to be here, Lord willing, if the weather clears up, we're going to be here together on Christmas morning at 1030. I'll be wearing my Christmas pajamas. I invite you to do the same, and uh, so we're just praying that we can be together and celebrate the birth of our Savior to, on Christmas morning. I want to say a huge thank you uh, to the people who have made this service possible to be able to do it online here uh, this evening. I want to say thank you to Pastor David, as well as the worship team and the production team and the choir uh, for showing up, and uh, just for everyone who, who made it possible for us to gather virtually uh, this Christmas Eve, Eve. You're going to need three things with you this service. First of all, you're going to need a Bible. Uh, secondly, you're going to need your singing voice. We're going to be singing some Christmas carols together. And then thirdly, you're going to need a candle. Now, I understand maybe that might be hard for you to dig one up. Maybe you just have a scented candle. Maybe you're going to need to download a candle app on your iPhone or something. I don't know. But you're going to need some source of light uh, because we're going to sing Silent Night at the end of the service. I'm going to encourage you to turn down the lights in your, uh, in your home where you're at and uh, light a candle as we celebrate the light of the world coming into the world. Uh, so, But really want to invite you to participate in this service with us. And we're going to begin right now by singing, O Come All Ye Faithful. So please join us in singing.
am so excited to be sharing with you one of my favorite Christmas books. This is called God Gave Us Christmas and it's by Lisa Ton Berggren. Mama, little cub asked one night, who invented Christmas? Was it Santa? No, Mama Bear said, God invented Christmas. God gave us Christmas. Is God more important than Santa? Oh yes, much more important, Mama said with a smile. The next morning, Little Cub sleepily climbed into her lap. Can we go find Santa, Mama? He lives around here someplace, I think. Hmm, Santa is hard to find, said Mama, but we can go find God. God is everywhere. Woohoo! cried Little Cub. I didn't know we could find God. Oh yes, Mama said. We can always find God. Little Cub looked over her shoulder and whispered, can we leave them at home? Yeah, Papa will watch the little ones. You and I can go alone and all see how God gave us Christmas. The next morning, Little Cub and Mama filled their packs, kissed their family goodbye, and set off to find God and see how he gave them Christmas. They walked to the top of one mountain and slid down the next <laughs> and up another mountain where they set up camp. Little Cub was so, so tired that she went right to sleep, but Mama nudged her while it was still dark. Mama, why are you waking me up? Because it's God, Little Cub. Come and see. What is that? Little Cub asked in wonder as she watched the dancing lights in the sky. That is God at work, Little Cub. He sent his only son as a baby so that we would know light from dark. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is how God gave us Christmas. The next day they arrived at a huge lake all at once with a mighty roar. A chunk of ice cut away from the cliff and fell into the sea. What is that? Little Cub asked, covering her ears and leaning into Mama. That is God, Little Cub. He's so powerful, he can command the water to freeze and that glacier to melt. He is mightier than any king on earth. And because he is all-powerful, he made Jesus king of all kings. But Jesus was just a baby. How could he be a king? All kings begin as babies. God knew we would need someone we could touch and see and smell to understand just how much he loved each one of us. Mama woke Little Cub again before the sun came up. She pointed to the east at a star that changed from green to red to green again and shot out in many points. Is that God again, Little Cub asked, rubbing her eyes? Yes. Jesus is called the bright morning star. He is always with us. And he first came when God gave us Christmas. On the way home, Mama Bear stopped by a tiny flower peeking up from the hard, frozen ground. Oh, you are too early, little flower, she said. Little cub, Jesus is like this flower, God in our world, living where you wouldn't expect him, surprising us. Christmas is a lot about surprises. Mm-hmm, like presents? <laughs> yes, Jesus is the best present of all, and God would have given us that present, even if it was only for you. Only for me? Only for you, little cub. God gave you Christmas. Mama and Little Cub came upon a church glowing with warm light. Soft voices reached out to them singing, 
What are they singing, Mama? About the night God first gave us Christmas when Jesus was born. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Would Jesus have come for me and Maggie the Fox or grumpy old Frankie the Fox? Little Cub whispered, Maggie, Frankie, any of us. Jesus is a present for everyone, grumpy or happy, mean or kind. God gave us all Christmas. Little Cub was glad to be back at home that night in her cozy bed. Thanks for showing me God, Mama. There isn't anything I'd rather do, sweet child, she said with a kiss. Night-night. Little Cub went to sleep and dreamed of bright stars and northern lights of a king born as a tiny baby, angels singing over him. And woke up to Christmas. <laughs> Woohoo, she cried. God gave us Christmas again. I hope you enjoyed it. Merry Christmas.
Good evening. My name is Mike Harper. Throughout the month of December, we've been lighting candles in anticipation of Advent, meaning the arrival of the promised Messiah. We lit the first candle to remember that Jesus is the mighty God who was spoken about by John the Baptist. <clears throat> the second candle reminded us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that even though our world is in constant state of turmoil, one day Jesus will return and bring peace to the world. And more than that, he can bring peace to your heart if you follow after him. The third candle reminded us that Jesus came as a light to a dark world as the only hope of salvation. And now on this Christmas Eve Eve, we light the fourth candle to remember that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our passage this evening comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her name to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from our sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until had, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As we gather together tonight, two days before Christmas, we think about the incarnation. Jesus, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the light of the world, became flesh and dwelt among us. As Isaiah's prophecy foretold, he is God with us. We light the fourth candle of Advent to remember that Jesus is Emmanuel. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Let's uh, continue in worship here. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 67 to 79 this evening. This is the second sermon of our mini-series called The First Christmas Songs, where we take a look at three hymns in the first two chapters of Luke that have to do with the birth of 
of Jesus. So last Sunday, we looked at Mary's Magnificat, and now this evening, we're going to take a look at Zechariah's song of praise to God for the birth of his son, John the Baptist. So before we do that, please bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, just come to you this evening, and we ask, uh, even though we're not able to be together as a church family, uh, even though we are separated by distance, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us in our hearts, God, as we think on the coming of Jesus, that we would be encouraged and equipped to do all that you call us to do. Lord, speak to us through your word this evening as we look at this incredible song of praise. And I ask if there's anyone uh, who's feeling discouragement or discontentment, Lord, if there's anyone um, who... Uh, just needs to hear from you this evening, God. We ask that you would minister them in a special way. Lord, guard my words and my heart as I preach your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we are going to be taking a look at the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 that begins in verse 67. Now, this is a little bit of an interesting direction to go for Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve, I guess it is this evening, because uh, this song is technically not about the birth of Jesus. This song is about the birth of John the Baptist. And we need a little bit of a backstory to understand this song. Zechariah was a priest in the temple, and he and his wife, Elizabeth, were getting older, and they were barren. She was barren. They were never able to have a child. And uh, when Zechariah was in the temple one day, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, and he was told some pretty unbelievable news, which is that he and his wife, in their old age, were going to have a very special child. And this child was going to prepare the way for the Savior of the world. Like I said, this news was unbelievable. In fact, it was so unbelievable that Zechariah didn't believe it. And so he asked Gabriel for a sign. Now, I thought about this because um, it seems like an angel appearing to you is a sign in and of itself. But he asked the angel Gabriel for another sign. And so Gabriel says, you need a sign. I'll give you a sign. How's this? Because you don't believe me, you are going to be mute for the next nine months until the baby is born. And I'm sure in that moment, Zechariah wished that he had a little more faith and that he didn't demand the sign, but that is exactly what happened. And so from the time the birth was prophesied until John the Baptist was born, uh, Zechariah was completely mute. He didn't speak a single word. Now, I don't know how Elizabeth's pregnancy was in her old age. You know, maybe after being married for that many years and now she's having to deal with a pregnancy, maybe this, this was a blessing to Elizabeth that Zechariah couldn't say anything for nine months. I don't know. We aren't given those kind of details. But the point is, what Gabriel said would happen is exactly what happened. And then the baby was born just like Gabriel said. Now, after the baby was born, 
Zechariah and Elizabeth were asked by those around them what they were going to name the baby. And Zechariah couldn't answer because he still couldn't speak. And so Elizabeth says his name's going to be John. And they said, why would his name be John? John's not a family name. Why, why are you going to call him John? And so they turn to Zechariah and they say, surely you're not going to name this baby John. And Zechariah writes down on a tablet or something. He says, his name will be John which is exactly what Gabriel had told him his name would be. And when he does that, when he says that and demonstrates his faith, his words come back to him right in that instance. And when his words come back with him, to him, the Holy Spirit fills him. Now, he's the third member of his family to be filled by the Holy Spirit. First, the first one was the baby in the womb. John was filled with the Spirit. You remember, he leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth was also filled with the Spirit. And now John, when he demonstrates this faith, or in Zechariah, when he demonstrates this faith, that the baby's name would be John. He is filled with the Spirit as well, and he prophesies. And the prophecy that he makes is the song that we have in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 67. In this song, we're going to see four things that Zechariah knew were going to change once this baby was born, pointing the way to the Messiah Zechariah was incredibly versed in the scriptures, which would just have been the Old Testament at the time. He, understand, he understood what was prophesied, what was going to come, and he understood what this baby's arrival meant for the future. And we see four incredible things that are prophesied in this song that are going to be fulfilled. Here's the first thing we see, that God's promises would be kept. God's promises would be kept. Look at verse 67. Says this, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the, God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And when you first read this, you might be tempted to think this is kind of strange and kind of irrelevant, especially if you're not super familiar with some of the things that are written in the Old Testament. What in the earth does it mean that God raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David? What does it mean that he remembered his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham? You might be like, my dad's name is Jim or something. It's not Abraham. I don't know who this Abraham guy is, but it's not my father. Well, to understand that, you need to know about these promises that God made in the Old Testament, which we call the covenants. God made a covenant with Abraham, which was a promise that through his offspring, everyone in the whole world would be blessed. And then many years later, he made another covenant, another promise with King David that someone from his lineage would raise up would be, and be the king of all the nations forever and ever and ever. And so for thousands of years, God's chosen people, who were known as the nation of Israel, clung to these promises that God would in fact deliver them and save them and expand their rule to the entire earth forever and ever and ever. Well, what was the problem? 
The problem was that God had given them a whole bunch of rules to follow to uphold their end of the promise, and Israel, at every turn, disobeyed over and over and over and over and over again. They disobeyed, and so after, as, they, as their disobedience piled on, they started to experience punishments for their sin and their disobedience. And if you were with us through our study in the book of Daniel, you know that Israel eventually was defeated by this foreign nation called Babylon, and they were dispersed, they were split into two halves, and, uh, and basically they were about as far away as they could possibly be from ever being any sort of worldwide power, and certainly as far as they could be from, uh, from hoping that from them would come a savior of the world, a king of all the nations. And so throughout the entire Old Testament, there's this tension that we see. And you need to understand, if you want to understand your Bible, you need to understand this tension that we see as we read the Old Testament. And the tension is, is God really going to keep his promises? Even as Israel disobeyed, even as things look as far away as they could possibly be, is God going to keep his promises? And what Zechariah realizes through the birth of his son, who is going to point the way to the promised one who would be born shortly thereafter, what Zechariah realizes is that God's answer is a resounding yes. Yes. God will keep his promises. And what's even more amazing that even Zechariah didn't realize at the time is that the way that God was going to keep his promise to an unfaithful people is by sending his own son as a sacrifice for sin. So God is a God who keeps his promises. That's the first thing we see. Here's the second thing we see in this song. And that in the coming of Jesus, God's people are now equipped in a way that they couldn't have been before Jesus came, God's people would now be equipped. Look at the second half of verse 73, right at the tail end. It says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So we can serve him without fear and positively in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we, as the people of God in Christ, because Jesus came, are now able to serve God without fear. And because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can now do what Israel could not do, which is to serve him in holiness and righteousness. Now, this is the amazing thing about following Jesus that you simply can't understand if you're not following him. For those that are living outside of a relationship with Christ, it just looks like Christians are a bunch of people who follow a bunch of rules because they're just really scared of going to hell and they want to go to heaven. And then even more than that, it can kind of, if you're outside of Christ, you might think of Christians as people who just think that they're very much holier than thou because of the way that they live their lives in relation to uh, how they think other people live their lives. 
But the truth is that this is just could not be further from the truth of what it actually means to follow Jesus. Because if you've truly encountered Jesus, you know that you have been freed from bondage and chains that you used to be in before Jesus rescued you. You know that you don't have to live in fear anymore because you've been redeemed. And you know that now because of Christ, you are equipped in a way that you were not before the Holy Spirit entered your life to serve him joyfully and freely from a grateful heart as Jesus transforms your life into a life of holiness and righteousness. Now, this does not happen all right away. It's not like it happens like that when you start following Jesus. It's a lifetime of putting the old flesh to death. And allowing Jesus to shape you and transform you. But none of this could have happened before Jesus came. So following Jesus isn't about living in fear of going to hell. It's not about thinking that you're better than other people. It's an understanding that when the gospel transforms your life, it changes everything about who you are and it allows you to live a life free from fear and equipped to live like Jesus is calling you to live. Praise the Lord for that. Here's a third thing we see in this passage. This is so cool. We see that the prophet would now be empowered. Now, in verse 76 is the, the turning point in this passage because Zechariah now goes from speaking about the promises of God that would be fulfilled, and he actually speaks directly to his newborn son. These are the first words that he says to his baby boy, the one that he's waited for his whole life. And this is what he says. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. I love this. Zechariah knows that his newborn son that he's speaking to for the first time, is going to be the greatest prophet who ever lived. Now, there were many prophets who certainly came before him in Israel who spoke about the things that were to come. But only John the Baptist was going to have this privilege. Only John the Baptist was going to be able to point to flesh and blood and say, he is the one. There he is. He is the one who's coming to give salvation for our sins. He is the one who's coming as we look at him and we can see personified, incarnate, in flesh, the mercy of our God. He's right here. Only John, the prophets before him, could tell vaguely of the salvation that would, to come, would come. But John the Baptist could point to Jesus and say, that one right there, the one whose straps of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who brings salvation. He's the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. How cool is that? In the same way, you, dear child of God, have this unbelievable privilege of doing the exact same thing, of pointing to Jesus and saying, that's him. That's the one 
who knows every evil thought I've ever had, who knows every wicked deed I've ever done or wanted to do. And he loves me just the same. And he's forgiven me. And he's freed me. And he's changing me and transforming me. It's Jesus. That's the one. We know his name. We know when he came. He came humbly as a baby born in a manger. He came to live a perfect life. He came to die as a sacrifice in my place and in your place. And if you believe in him, he'll change your life too. This Christmas, remember the privilege that we have to share the good news of our Savior. To give knowledge of salvation to his People in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. And if you don't know him and you're hearing this right now, I want you to know the Savior loves you. He will forgive you if you repent and believe because of the tender mercy of our God. The prophet was empowered to do what no prophet before him could do, which is point to Jesus and say he's the one. And if your life's been changed by him, you have the incredible privilege of doing just the same thing. Finally, the coming of Jesus, the path has been illuminated. The path has been illuminated. Look at the second half of verse 78. It says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. As we close this evening, we're going to do what we do every Christmas Eve, or Christmas Eve Eve in this case, which is light candles, to remember that the light of the world has come into the world, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Later on in his life, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I love how Zechariah prophesies this. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Before Jesus came, it was one long, dark night. But when Jesus came into the world, the sun rose again. Praise God that the sun rose, that he kept his promise, Oops. that he equipped his people, that he empowered his prophets, and that he illuminated our path. So what I want you to do now as we remember the light of the world coming into the world is wherever you're at, whether you're at home by yourself or surrounded by family, I want you to grab a candle or some source of light and light it and turn down the lights. And we're going to sing Silent Night together.
Whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I pray that you have the light of life this Christmas because you know the light of the world. From my family to yours, Merry Christmas.